Welcome to St. James Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. You can learn more about St. James on our website at stjamesp.org. So as most of you know, I've spent the last few weeks bouncing back and forth between our two beloved sanctuaries. So I'll start again with a shout out for how great it will be to have all of us under one roof again. The beauty of this Mount Lebanon Chapel, the grandeur of St. James downtown, we have such amazing places in which to worship. And we have the opportunity this year to remember that for everything there is a season, and soon it will be the season to put Mount Lebanon Chapel to rest on Sunday mornings for just a few months and worship together, all of us in one community. Since you and I have been together every week, let's remember a few tidbits important to the Gospel of Mark, and especially in chapter 10, because Jesus is on the move. He's wrapping up his three-year Galilean ministry, and we know that he is on his way to Jerusalem and then to the cross. He still has many roads to travel, though, and remember, he's traveling on foot, and he's teaching and preaching and admonishing and healing and encouraging and testing all along the way. And again, he is most definitely coming to the end of his earthly ministry. So today we have the tale that is often referred to as the story of the rich young ruler. All three of the gospels, the synoptic gospels, relate to this story. Matthew calls the guy young. Luke refers to him as a ruler. And here we have Mark today telling us that he's rich. Hence, the rich young ruler. Okay, I have to say that while he was perhaps materially wealthy, as we read the story today, we come to discover that spiritually, he was actually quite poor. So perhaps a better name for this event should be the story of that poor fellow. Let's go to verse 17. Here he is running up to Jesus, which, by the way, is always a good way to start. But then he totally wipes out on his delivery of his greeting and his request, telling us right away what is really up with him. The first words out of his mouth are, good teacher. So let's unpack that for a second and see how Jesus dealt with that. As usual with the question, why do you call me good, Jesus says. No one is good but God alone. As usual, Jesus knows what he's doing here. He isn't reminding the poor fellow that he isn't good. He's giving him the opportunity to back up and affirm Jesus as Lord. Jesus knows that he's God and that he's good, and he's giving this poor fellow the chance to open his eyes, to open his eyes and see it as well. He's handing him the answer, no one is good but God alone. Don't you wonder what would have happened at that point if the poor fellow had simply dropped to his knees and said, you are good. You are God. We certainly would have had a different story if our guy had just recognized, really recognized Jesus. So after the salutation, this poor fellow immediately follows with, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Note the heavy emphasis on the I statement here. What must I do? We all know the answer to this as well. Jesus loves to answer questions by referencing scripture. What must I do? Well, let's look at the scripture. And interestingly, this time, Jesus goes through six of the Ten Commandments. Notice that he starts with the second, command, I mean, the second tablet. 
If you're thinking of Charlton Heston standing there in the desert with the, the wind blowing in his hair, wearing that perfect ivory robe, holding the two stone tablets, remember, the first tablet contained the vertical commandments, us to God. The next six approach our relationship with people, horizontal commandments, if you will, people to people. And that law is really summed up by Jesus in one word. Does anyone have that word in mind? Love? Yeah, love. Love your God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. He throws in honor your father and mother here, which makes perfect sense. But then let's read this other five, the one that he picks out really quickly. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, not bear false witness, not defraud. And okay, most of us would not be able to do what that poor fellow did and say, I've kept all these since my youth. I certainly couldn't say that. I wonder how often we fall into the trap of living our spiritual lives with the not, front and center. Such a negative approach. If someone comes to me and says, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, I never fill in the blank. I want to say, that's awesome. What have you done? Sometimes it's important to turn those negative statements around and be positive about our service, about our love, about our faith. That's what I believe God is interested in. So now we come to verse 21, and it is so worth pondering. For just a moment, verse 21, quote, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that the best look ever? We know that Mark didn't walk these roads with Jesus. He probably never even met Jesus, but here Mark is writing the good news. We also know that the primary source of information for Mark was Peter. Mark traveled with Paul and learned from Peter, so I just wonder if way back at some point, Peter is talking to Mark about the story, and he says something like, and then, well, Jesus just looked at him, and that look, so much depth, so much love, so much understanding, it was everything. It was the same look that Jesus gave me on the night I denied him three times, and Jesus knew it was coming, and he loved me still. I think that's why Mark includes this line in the scripture today. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus, of course, though, goes on. He loves the guy, but he's not done with him. One thing you lack, he says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, let's don't misunderstand this verse. This is not a call to poverty or a call to philanthropy. This is not Jesus telling the poor fellow how to earn his way into heaven. That defies the very point of the context. He's simply exposing the true heart of a self-righteous young man who is proud enough to say, I've kept the law. Well, this stops him dead in his tracks because Jesus is basically telling him that he knows that the guy is kept by another God. He's saying, money owns you. Your pride owns you. Your possessions own you. Your wealth is your God. Alas, we hear that, quote, he was sad and went away. Poor fellow. The fellow that walked away from Jesus, from his salvation. Now let's have a little cultural context here because the disciples are also flabbergasted when Jesus goes on about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Their culture equated wealth 
with God's blessings. The rich were expected and able to give alms to the poor. So to hear that rich people, the ones blessed by God, weren't able to get into heaven? Well, that was a head-scratcher for sure. Who then can be saved, they say? Now Jesus boils it all down. For mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. What is a human impossibility is a divine certainty. Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift. I'm paraphrasing that from Ephesians. We cannot earn our way. We cannot work our way. We cannot do our way into heaven. Heaven is available to us by grace and by grace alone. And yes, there will be persecution. The load might seem heavy at times, but Jesus sums it all up for us right here. No one who has sacrificed for me and the gospel will fail to reap the reward. That's salvation, my friends. That's eternity with God. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Pray with me. Father, we run up to you today and we say you are good. We recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior and we humbly say thank you for words that bring us ever closer to you. Thank you for making eternity with you possible for us through your grace and your love. Amen.